Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Welcome to the Storytelling Lab, where we break down how to get to the heart of your story and the hearts of your audience to leave the greatest impact possible. And now here's your host, a filmmaker and competitive storyteller, Rain Bennett. What's up, my beautiful people? Welcome to another episode of the Storytelling Lab, where we help you break down the art and science of storytelling. My name is Rain Bennett. I am your host, and my job is to help you deepen your connections, increase your sales, and serve your audiences better. Every Monday morning, I send out a storytelling tip to my email subscribers, and I talk about how I have used it in my own storytelling for my clients and for myself, and I leave you with tangible advice on how you can apply it to your strategies. If this sounds like something that would interest you, go ahead and sign up for the newsletter at rainbennett.com slash weekly storytelling tips. Again, that's rainbennett.com slash weekly storytelling tips. This podcast is a Six Second Stories production. Six Second Stories is a video marketing agency that helps you tell heartfelt stories to maximize your impact in minimal time. Find out more about what we do at sixsecondstories.com. Okay, so when we set out to learn something new, to learn a new skill, a new technique, a new practice, we often think about learning that most effectively by working with someone who is beyond us, who is above us, who has more experience than us, right? A teacher, a mentor, a master of of the discipline. We think that the best and maybe even only way that we can learn is by having someone who has been through this before or someone who is better at this than we are. However, what I've learned along my journey is there's actually three different ways to learn, three different levels of people who can help you understand what it is you're doing even better. 
So besides learning from an expert or someone who has more experience than you, you can also learn very effectively by working with someone who has less experience than you. If you've ever had to teach something that you know or the world in which you you operate and do business, then you understand that that's a whole different skill set being able to convey information to someone who is either a beginner or just starting to understand that. And then because of that, it allows you to understand the concept even better. So if you're working with someone on how to play soccer or or write or play pool or whatever skill that you have and you're working with someone who is who has less experience than you are, then you have to explain things in a way that they can grasp it as a beginner and that helps you understand it even better. And then next You also learn very effectively with people who are on your same level, who have the same amount of experience as you are. They're they're your contemporaries, your peers, right? That way, you are experiencing the same kinds of struggles and maybe they've tried this one thing out that's helped and, and you've tried this one thing out and that's helped and you share those stories with each other, but also you can kind of have a healthy competition with one another. You can kind of push each other to, to be better. Think about, you know, playing, playing. I, I use playing soccer a lot because that, that's what I do. So imagine playing with somebody who's on your level. You push each other to, to be better. It's the same thing with whatever skill that we're working on. So three ways you can learn by someone who is more experienced, someone who is less experienced, and someone who has the same amount of experience who is on your level. Now, typically on the storytelling lab, we have experts on as guests. These are people that I look up to that I've even learned from. But sometimes there's a disconnect when you have someone who's on a whole different level than you are and they're talking about the things that they've done. And when you're on you know, a level where you're just starting out, sometimes it's hard to see how that relates to your strategy if you don't have a team, if you don't have the money that they have, if you don't have 10 or 20 years of experience. So today I have a very unique episode where we're going to work with one of your contemporaries, one of your peers, someone who looks like you to help you understand how to use storytelling in your strategies. Today, my guest is Amanda Cazola of Reinvestment Partners. And this is going to be an actual case study of when I helped her as a story coach through her successful crowdfunding campaign for Reinvestment Partners. Now, I first met Amanda when I was conducting a storytelling workshop for nonprofits for, I believe it was the Create Good Conference in Durham, North Carolina. Then we established a relationship. I actually did some video production work for Reinvestment Partners, and Amanda and I kept in touch. And then a few months ago, she reached out to me because, like many businesses and organizations, coronavirus has really heavily impacted their funding. And they needed to create a new program to serve their people more efficiently. And they needed to raise money because they had lost some grant opportunities that they once had. So Amanda wanted to do a crowdfunding campaign. And she hasn't done that before. So she knew that she, one, wanted to utilize storytelling. And she knew the power of that. And two, she knew she needed some help. So she reached out to me because I've had uh, several successful crowdfunding campaigns and also some unsuccessful ones. So I knew what kinds of things worked. And she was 100% right that storytelling works. So this episode, we break it down. We we dive deep into this case study and and learn about the obstacles that she faced and the, and the things she struggled with and what worked and what didn't work. And so this is going to be such an applicable, practical podcast for you to listen to if you're in this type of situation. Now, here's the thing. You don't have to have a crowdfunding campaign 
to benefit from this episode because we're all struggling on different ways that we can raise money and the principles that we discussed today still are going to apply to any strategy when you're trying to increase your revenue, increase your donations. So here is my conversation with Amanda Cazola from Reinvestment Partners and I hope that you love it. Well, welcome, Amanda, to the show. I appreciate you making the time for me today. How's everything going? Going good. Thank you. Yeah. So the last time we talked, we were in the middle of uh, a deep month-long crowdfunding campaign, which we're going to dive into completely today. Um, But since that's happened, which we'll go ahead and and foreshadow a little bit uh, for the audience, it was successful. Um, Since that's happened, which that ended, that was the month of September, right? Right. So here we are. It's now October. This podcast, this episode will release a little bit later, maybe November, maybe early December. So we're here at the end-ish of October, maybe a week left or so. Um, what's been going on uh, since then? Uh, since since the, the crowdfunding campaign ended, are you implementing that program? Yes, we are. So the crowdfunding campaign was around uh, a technology improvement that was going to help us serve more clients with our housing counseling program. Um, So the crowdfunding campaign was called Angela's Hope for Home, Mm -hmm. and it was implemented to help us um, increase our reach um, and also to better serve clients who have a few access to few resources, who have, you know, few technology uh, resources at their disposal. and at this point, we are implementing that. We've got phase one done. Uh, we have the client-facing web form up and running. And we're beginning to connect it to Salesforce, which is our client management system. Um, so it's, it's moving right along, thanks to the crowdfunding campaign. So I want to I wanna put a pin in that for the moment. This is, we're going to dive deep into, into this crowdfunding campaign and what, what your goal with, was with it and what you know you hope to accomplish uh because because of running it successfully well let's back up a little bit so so your title i mean what's your title again is it director of communications or and marketing or director of marketing okay director of marketing for reinvestment partners and that's a pretty uh how how large is your staff there i think we have about uh 11 or 12 people at this point okay um and you do quite a bit of work you serve a lot of people uh in, in, in different communities around the states um, I want to first just ask kind of a general question. I know, I think we met at a workshop, right? A storytelling workshop a while back. So this is something, you know, anybody in the communications or marketing space understands, uh, like a lot of my listeners understands, you know, the, the need for using stories in their strategies and their marketing strategies. And so often I meet people like you at the, at these workshops because they are dealing with the same issues. So my first real question in that vein is, what are the issues that you deal with on a day-to-day as a director of marketing communications for a, I guess, you you know, small to medium-sized nonprofit? I think the biggest, uh, the biggest barrier that we face really is buy-in from the staff and the board, to be perfectly really? honest. So yeah, like you um, have an idea that you think would work. And, and basically convincing them to, for, to allow you to execute it. Is that fair? Yeah. Well, and even, um, even getting people to take the pictures when they're at an event to document what they're doing, things like that. Uh, I can't be at every event. I can't right. be with every program. Um, and 
of those 11 employees, almost all of them are broken up across different programs. A lot of our teams are teams of one. Sometimes we have a team of a few people, um, but we have just such a diversity of programs and trying to get that represented is just difficult because uh, people are a little bit shy. They don't want to take pictures. They don't know what's going to count as a good picture. They don't know what's important to say. What do people care about? So just getting that content, generating the content, getting people to think that it's important and to see how important telling our story is to funders, whether it's a crowdfunding campaign or a large grantor, is probably our, our biggest challenge, our biggest struggle. And from your experience uh, doing what you do, why, why is it important? Why is it effective? It's important and it's effective because people want to know uh, the impact you're making with their money, whether it's a $5 donation or a $250,000 um, grant from a bank or something like that. Um, the reason that they're doing it, they want to give through the organization, not give to the organization. So they want to see the people that you're helping and what is the impact that you're having. Um, and a, a conversation that I had with our executive director uh, several years ago when we first talked about making marketing a priority was he said, well, we don't get credit for what we do and nobody sees what we do. And so our primary goal was to begin documenting what is it we do and just create that content for people to see. And as we slowly began doing that, uh, both on our website and in the social media, you know, having completely different, um, those being completely different channels for what you publish and how, um, we began creating a, a base of content that then we could point to very quickly and very easily because we were doing it in real time. Um, so when it came up for a report, time to speak to a donor again, we were able to actually provide those stories uh, of the clients we're helping, of the communities we're improving, um, and that was making, it made such a big difference. So where funding had been declining in some spaces, we were actually able to grow funding in other spaces mm. by conveying those stories. You know, you said this line, I really love uh, uh, that people people want like to give through the organization, not to the organization. That's so true. I've never heard it put like that. That's so, so simple and, 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 uh, and effective of a statement because it really, it really illustrates the, um, the point. I wonder if there are people internally like on the team, because I see this problem uh, often and I try to help people through this. I do, you know, you're that we're talking about too much about themselves or in this case, the organization, right? What you just said, people want to give through the organization to the people on the, the, the recipients, the people on the receiving end who need the help, not, not to the organization. And that sticks so well in my mind. Did you, or do you experience like having to kind of fight against that to, to illustrate that point of people who maybe want to talk about the organization too much and not the people that they're helping? Definitely. Um, and I think that it's just kind of a common problem. Uh, like you said, it's something that, that we want to say, Hey, we appeared uh, in, in this circumstance. We did this. We were able to get extra money for this. And that's not what people care about. That's not emotionally riveting in any way, shape, or form. Right. Um, and we've, I think over the four years that we've really ramped up our marketing at Reinvestment Partners, uh, we've been able to move away from that. Um, and really, the both the board and the staff, including our executive director, have really been able to see the value of storytelling and what that brings. 
So we get a lot less of the look what we did and more good. look how we've been able to help our community. Good, good. Why do people do that? Why do we, why do, it seems like by default, we, we are instinctively driven to, to tout those things. Why do you think we do that? I think, uh, you know, perhaps you're going back to a, uh, a statement that our executive director made a couple years ago. You know, he, uh, as a leader in a lot of the fields that we're in, um, a lot of times we don't get credit for it. So you feel, yeah. I think people feel like, hey, I need to get credit. And I, they think they think of it in terms of if, if I'm not seen in this, in this way by our funders or our grantors, then they're going to think that I don't know what I'm doing in this field or that if I'm not on the front line, you know, I'm not showing up on the front lines on their radar, mm-hmm. how are they going to know that I'm the one that they need to give the money to? Right. Because we, you know, we are doing the work and we can show that we're doing the work and we're doing great work. Um, but it, it turns out that that's not what they want to hear. You know, they want to see who are you helping? How are you helping them? What impact is it having? And that's much more compelling than sure. we've done it. And, and if you understand like how, how to really use and craft sor- stories well, you can, you can position yourself or the organization as a role in that story, you know, a pivotal role, but it's still like, as we say, like the hero is, is the person that we're, we're trying to help. So I think you can still do that without making it feel kind of icky or wedged in there or forced or, you know, just interested in, in ourselves, but that makes a lot of sense. I mean, that, that was a good insight into the psyche of, of people of like, well, if they don't see our, our credit or our connection to this, will they think we're not needed basically? Uh, so that, no, that makes a lot of sense. I think that if you do it well, you can show, not tell, right. That, that you are an important and imperative part of that process but still not make it all about you. Like there's not, it doesn't have to be one way or the other, right? There is a middle ground. And I, I think, you know, it's, it's storytelling. So let's fast forward now a little bit into now we've kind of painted the picture of like, what are the the general obstacles that you face? (laughs) This year has been a tremendous, humongous uh, obstacle for all of us in various ways in different capacities. Um, But this is kind of what led you to, uh, this crowdfunding campaign. So let's paint the picture for the people listening about like what, what happened in your world in terms of a housing counseling agency uh, that obviously does, uh, has many other programs when this crisis hit kind of that middle of March when everything shut down, what did you all experience? So a lot of uh, our services, uh, the majority are held in person. So with the counseling team, um, the only really time that we would have phone appointments or you know, at distance, um, at distance appointments was that initial touch point with the client. You know, who are you? What are you doing? What's your situation? How can we help? But and, everything. And real quick, sorry to jump in, but who who is a a typical client for you all? A typical client. Most of our clients are in Durham County. Okay. Um, we have a very wide range, um, but we we help a lot of seniors, um, but also. Um, Primarily uh, homeowners, some renters. Um, for the last several years, since the last housing crisis, the majority of our clients have been foreclosure prevention clients. So clients okay. who, who were laid off, having trouble paying their mortgage. Um, you help people keep so, stay in their homes, basically. Right. We help Got people it. stay in their homes, whether it's gotcha. an apartment or a okay. um, home that they have mortgage. Gotcha. Got okay. Sorry to interrupt. So, so your first uh, interaction with them is usually on the phone. Like, who are you? You know, just, just getting the details and the facts of their situation. 
Right, and then everything after that um, has always been in person. It's always paperwork. Um, usually we would send them an email. You know, our, our big uh, technology upgrade was going from mailing out paper intake applications several years ago to having an automated email go out that has a link to uh, the PDF on our website that they can print out at home and uh, complete and then bring it in with them to the office. That was our huge technology upgrade. <laughs> and that, but that requires you to have a computer, to have access right. to the internet, to have a printer, um, to have a scanner if you're going to send it in ahead of time. Oh my gosh. So it just requires you to have things that, you know, if you have those things, you take it for granted. And if you don't, you get this and you go, well, what am I supposed to do with that? Um, so when our office closed down in March because of COVID-19 and we couldn't see clients um, in person, it was just kind of a huge shock. You know, we were pretty uh, technologically advanced for the industry, to be perfectly honest, just having automated emails and wow. things online. Um, but so many of our clients, uh, they just were not able to connect. They and, and if they could previously get into the office or like they didn't have a printer, which is like everybody these days, then they could go in and they could fill out the form. Right. Absolutely. Like that's what you, well, we would mail it to them ahead of time. And okay. They fill it out with us. and then bring it. Yeah. Got it. Got it. But now that's not an option. Right. Yeah. And so like, I do have a printer because this is, you know, for what I do for a living, I have to print out a lot of things, but I, I still, most people don't. Uh, most people, even in my profession don't, I just still happen to from a long time ago and it has a scanner on it, but I still like hate having to do to do that process. It's still so much to print something out fill it out, then scan it, then upload it, then send it, right? And, and so I really loved when kind of just the DocuSign thing started happening, happening a lot, or at least where you could maybe take a picture of something because for a long time you had to, you know, you had to scan it. I, I didn't understand why that was. So, so uh, I definitely get it for someone who doesn't have a printer. Now they're not able to even come in and fill it out in person. So what would that type of person do? Normally, they would go to a library, uh, okay. use the resources Not there, but obviously those were shut down, so they those couldn't do that. Um, so we were having to do, a, a, we had a kind of a lull in helping clients because we had to mail physical applications to them. They had to complete them. They had to physically mail them back. Our staff was not in the office, mm. so they had to... Um, they had to go into the office a couple times a week to check the mailbox to see what we got, then process it, then scan it, get it to the other you know, staff members because we were all working remotely. It was really ineffective um, at folks yeah. serving clients who were experiencing uh, the hardship due to the COVID-19 closures with their own jobs and things like that. Um, and then also just terribly inefficient um, for our staff. So that was our situation and we needed to make something happen quickly and fast. So um, we started designing a web form and um, we, we know homeless folks who have smartphones, um, even true. if it's a pay as you go sort of thing. Yeah. So a lot of these, uh, our clients, even if they don't have printers or scanners or full computer, a lot of them have smartphones. Mm -hmm. So they can, if there's a web form, if they have internet access, whether it's through you know, Wi-Fi or their cell provider, they can access that form. They can submit the data just by typing it on their tablet or their phone. They can take pictures and upload directly from their phone. Um, so this is uh, the web form we started designing and um, with the ultimate goal also of connecting it to our client management system to save the counselor's administrative time. Yeah. So um, 
we report to HUD, we're a HUD certified agency, we have to put certain data into the client management system that gets reported to HUD on a quarterly basis. And that's a lot of data entry for the client, for the counselors. So having the clients not only have the ability to enter it online on their phone, um, and also then pushing that into our client management system so that the counselors don't have to enter it behind them. Um, just kind of a double time saver there for both the client, providing them accessibility, and then being able to serve more clients because counselors not doing as much admin on their side. So it, se- it seems like uh, easy solution, like problem solved, but I don't think that was the case, right? So what, what, what then did you run up against? Well, uh, we ran up against uh, issues with cost um, and everybody scrambling to do the same thing at the same time. Hmm. So fortunately, we were able to put an interim solution in place. Um, JotForm allowed uh, agencies who were doing emergency response, and we qualified for that, to have a free HIPAA-compliant unlimited submission um, through the end of August. And so I spent a week or two designing our forms and putting it into um, a a format, the job form, that clients could start with there. Um, and then in the meantime, we worked with, uh, we, we did the research, you know, what, what software program can be used, um, what gives us the most benefit and most flexibility, what will actually connect to Salesforce. So we had probably a month of actually like real detailed research to figure out what the best software was, what the applic- mm-hmm. best application was to actually do what we wanted. And we decided on form assembly, which has a good you know, web interface, it's one of the best in the field, also does the signatures that we need from clients. Um, you know, we need their authorizations, privacy policies, disclosures, things like that, that, that again, they can do on that, uh, on their smartphone. And then um, also uh, being able to connect to Salesforce uh, like we wanted it to. So that was going to end in, in August, right? Yeah. That the, 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 the program that they had uh, given you, JotForm. Um, so what was the thing that led you to, and this is, this is really uh, why I wanted to talk to you today on the show, because so many uh, of the people that I work with and even ones that I don't work with, but know their situation and that, 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 you know, maybe listen to the show um, or it's reached out to me in a storytelling capacity before either are planning to, or want to, uh, do, to launch a crowdfunding campaign. So before we dive into like the execution of that, what was the moment where, you know, what, why basically, why did you, did you pursue this? And what was the moment when you were like, okay, we, you know, this is, this is the direction we need to go because uh, as you now know, and as I already knew, uh, it's a lot of work, you know, it's a lot of work, no matter how long that campaign is. Um, what were the decisions that led you to saying, and, and probably having to convince your, you know, your, um, your team to, to, to pursue this crowdfunding campaign? Uh, well, uh, over the last couple of years, we've been losing more and more funding sources uh, for housing counseling. Funding's just going away left and right. Mm. And uh, we lost another source of funding. And I, uh, so we spoke to the executive director and, said, and I said, I will try to fundraise. Like I will de- dedicate X amount of time every week to try and fundraise. And then um, because this project really needed to happen and the eviction moratoriums were ending and the foreclosure um, moratoriums were ending and everything was getting, I mean, things did get updated at the last minute. 
but we just saw this impending housing crisis worse than 2007. So back then, uh, you know, unemployment rates were at a certain percent. It was more than that with COVID-19. We're having more people with more problems um, being able to pay their rent and stay in their homes. And especially during a time of pandemic when that's so important. Um, so we were coming up with, you know, we're losing more funding. Uh, we're seeing the housing crisis. All the deadlines are ending. North Carolina's eviction moratorium ended. The federal foreclosure moratorium was ended. We already had clients who were coming in who were in foreclosure or having trouble Jeez. paying their mortgage. And um, we, did, we needed to be, be prepared. And so in order to serve the number of clients that we needed to, um, we, we really made a push. I said, this is, this is the thing that we need in order for us to stay in business and keep going, um, especially as other agencies are continuing to close their doors. We found, um, we participated in a statewide mortgage and rental relief fund that was a small operation um, but in that, the intermediary asked all the agencies to claim a county, you know, what counties you serve, where are the, your, your clients, and you can help those counties. And we found a gap of 14 counties that had absolutely no representation with housing counseling. Jeez. And so that was even more concerning to us. You know, we, yeah. we serve, we've served up to 43 <laughs> counties with just one and a half counselors. Um, and how are we going to continue doing that with the distance with people not being able to get things to us, um, trying to really streamline processes so that the counselors could handle that impending crisis. Um, and like I said, as you know, you know, some of those deadlines got bumped out. We had the CDC eviction um, moratorium put in place, all kind of last minute stopgap measures that mm -hmm. housing crisis is still coming. Um, so we have a little bit of a, a moratorium there, but uh, that was really the push. It was like, this is happening. It's happening now. How are we going to prepare our staff for when the tsunami of clients come? Yeah. Now, had you participated in a crowdfunding campaign before? No, no. What preconceived notions did you have? What fears did you have leading up to that? What, you know, what were your thoughts about this process? Uh, what were your concerns uh, before you made that decision to like, this is the way we're going to find those funds? Um, I think the biggest concern was just getting out of our comfort zone. Um, again, we receive grants from usually foundations or federal agencies, state government agencies, and we rely on that. We don't, we don't usually get smaller donations. Uh, you know, it's, it's a couple thousand from this bank who's willing to support this program, et cetera. And we have to kind of piece it all together. And as those federal programs are ending um, and we're left with nothing else, like well, where else do we go? Yeah. And in the past, I've brought up the topic before and the, the reception that I got was just like, well, we don't do that. That's not what we do. We don't go after those small donations. We rely on foundations. So it just wasn't part of our model and certainly not part of our uh, right. environment. But, but now things have changed. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. <laughs> but it changed. And, and I think that, you know, uh, part of the, uh, the coronavirus has really made everybody have to get creative and try things they've never tried before. 100%. And so, <laughs> so I, absolutely. So, you know, here we are um, with a need, all the funding drying up, funding going away, nowhere else to turn. And we said, hey, I wonder if, the community could help us with this, get us prepared, because while the community is hurting and some people don't have enough money to, to give, there are people who um, really do want to give, who yes. say, you know, this is a problem, how can I help? Because they haven't been as hard hit. 
Yeah, exactly. Especially people who were fortunate. I, I mean, I consider myself to be one of those and I donated and actually created some, some, some crowdfunding campaigns for other people doing great work in the world. Um, because I was like, you don't, I mean, guilty maybe, but if things are going well for you, but you just, it's more that you see yourself in a position, a real position to help. And of mm -hmm. course people naturally, I feel like are driven to help. And so, yes, that's a good point. And I, and I, I resonate with that because if, if you're in a position to give this year, well, what more motivation do you need when people are so drastically affected? Everybody, we all have someone you know, I talk about my brother a lot. He's in the catering business. Weddings is 90, 95% of his business. They all went away, you know, for months and months and months. So, and of course, I mean, this is not even talking about people that health has been affected, like physical health and mental health has been affected by this. So absolutely, I, I agree with that. And so that was probably a weird, tricky situation because everybody is hurting and people are hurting financially. However, you know, you, you thought that there was this group of people um, and I think you, you were correct about that, uh, that would definitely be motivated to give. Um, so, all right. So you made the decision and because of the unusual circumstances, it seems like your team agreed this time, even though this isn't, this isn't what we do, but now you've got this new, like <laughs> this new obstacle to overcome this new goal to achieve that you've never done before. And you've been given the green light and you, you've got step one to take, but I'm guessing that nobody told you what step one to take was. So what'd you do then? Uh, so the first thing I did was I looked into uh, just, just Googled, you know, how do you do a crowdfunding campaign? You know, looked into the GoFundMe charity, uh, just see what their guidance was. And they had some generic, you know, some generic guidance and it's, it's good guidance. Um, but I thought, you know what, if I'm going to do this and do it right and make a real effort on this and want it to be successful, I think I need some uh, more tailored guidance. And that's when I contacted you and asked for some specific uh, count, uh, coaching sessions mm -hmm. on it. Um, so they have classes and things out there uh, that were more expensive than you know, your, your coaching fee. And I thought, well, I can either pay more for something that's generic, that feels more like the generic stuff I'm reading online already, or I can get some real, uh, real advice about the exact campaign, my exact issue and my exact story that I need to tell um, from someone who has experience. So that's uh, when I contacted you and I said, hey, if I'm going to do this, I want to do it right. And I want to do it right the first time. And so Very that was, uh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't want it to be, you know, you don't want to start your very first uh, time um, when there is a great need really flopping and, and then have to try it again. You know? yeah, and a lot of initial crowdfunding campaigns go that way because, and this is kind of what I hope to, to help with this episode, because a lot of people have misconceived notions about, about people think it's easy. It is not. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's a, a lot of times they do flop because of mismanagement or underestimation of what, of, of the management and what it takes. It's essentially a, it's somebody's and, and perhaps most often multiple people's full-time responsibility when you do that. I mean, it is a lot, it is a lot of hours. Um, so what was it about? I know that we had initially met through a storytelling workshop and, I, and, and I know that, you know, that's my area where, where I exist, what was it about, um, I guess, the services that I provided that made you think it could help you in your scenario? 
I think, you know, knowing that you've had some experience with the crowdfunding uh, mm -hmm. campaigns, I've been on your newsletter for a while, so I know that you had done some work with those. Um, also knowing uh, just from, uh, again, me seeing you around in the field and things like that, mm -hmm. uh, you know, your experience and you're a very compelling storyteller, um, working with you on previous projects. And I really wanted to get the message across uh, effectively. And I knew that having a video was also very important. Mm -hmm. And while uh, you didn't actually help us, you didn't actually record the video, you, you provided a lot of guidance on that. Um, and so I just, I knew that I needed someone who was a compelling storyteller um, who could get that across. And when I was at the workshop with you, people came out of that saying, you know, that video made me cry. And that was the sort of person who I wanted to help me tell our story because yeah. quite frankly, there are times when I hear the counselor stories of the clients that we're helping and it makes me cry. Mm. And so I wanted to be able to capture that emotion um, that is already there. So you already knew going into it that to do it effectively, you would probably need to tell, to tell a good story, to tell, to use mm -hmm. that storytelling strategy. Uh, that's, that's probably, I'd like to think I helped a little bit too, but that honestly is probably what gave you the biggest leg up because a lot of people don't do that. They do what we've been talking about already, which is we talk about us and what we need and we need this money so that we can do what we don't want to do. We, 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 so already you knowing that you should approach it in that manner, especially in a crowdfunding campaign, and you do have this, this uh, uh, opportunity to, to use the pitch video as, as they call it. Um, I, I mean, I think that's probably what, what set you apart is understanding that that's what going to connect with people and, and motivate people. So um, what are some of the first things that once we started working together and, and basically for those listening, we had, I think it was a four week coaching, you know, session and it was before, before you launched, right? We ended right before you launched. Okay. So it was the month before um, and you're building it all along because you can build it uh, as a draft, right? You can build your crowding, crowdfunding campaign as a draft um, and then of course you have the month of the campaign, which there is a whole nother sequence of events that's happening. But as we're building it, what are the things that, that you're, that you're struggling with? And some of these, I know that you've communicated to me, but I'm sure there's many that I, that I don't know. What are some of the things that, that were challenging for you during that point, uh, to execute when we were just in the building stage? The two things that were hardest for me, uh, one of which you were incredibly helpful with was deciding what to say, how much to say, how much detail to provide, and what not to say. Just in as much as, you know, what, do, what, what, detail, what level of detail do people actually need to know in order to understand what you're trying to convey? And because, uh, because we're in the industry, we have that curse of knowledge. We have so much, so mm -hmm. much that we're not going to say because it's understood to us and we're not going to remember to say it. And then you also have things that we think are important to say that are just too much in the weeds that nobody wants to hear. And so being able to tease that out um, and get to the proper, the proper sequence, you know, what is it we need to say? How do we need to say it? But people will understand it. I mean, there's lots of different ways to understand things, but really what is the, going to be the most effective for the most people? And that was the, the goal. And there were times, you know, in working through the story, I'd get two pieces mixed up. I kept always putting you know, A before B or B before A when it should have been the other way around. And um, again, I think it's just because I had too much detail in my head. So getting a, a third party perspective to help tease that out and really get down to the, the bare bones was really essential. Um, and, uh, you know, asking anybody internally, 
would have the same problems that I have, you know, that the knowledge and the, the cursive background. knowledge, as you say. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, and then the, good. the second thing that was just so, so um, a, a big challenge during that time was trying to decide really who to target. Um, so mm -hmm. we thought that, you know, reaching out to clients would be really uh, effective because our services are free. And so them having been helped in the past, um, that they would be open to giving, but also wanting to be respectful of the fact that we obtained their emails through services mm -hmm. and not for marketing. So um, I try to be really respectful of that and keep everybody's emails just, you know, we only want to see this, we don't want to see that. Um, and so that was the kind of a, a concern of mine. You know, are we going to target them? If so, how? You know, I don't want to be uh, disrespectful of how we obtained their information. Yeah, yeah. Did you did you end up targeting them? We did, and, and they did, were some of our best donors. Oh, amazing! Did you did you have to send like an initial email, just kind of asking permission, or how did you handle that? Uh, well, I just I targeted our email uh, messages differently. So for the client, oh, okay. I framed it in terms of you. Know, you've received services from us in the past. You know the value of these services. Mm -hmm. This is a problem that we're experiencing. Do you think you could help? And then anyone who had uh, concerns, who said they didn't want to be contacted anymore, yeah, they could just unsubscribe, that's fine, and that's separate for the email marketing. And then some people would say, uh, you know, oh, this is the first time I'm hearing from you. Um, am I on your email list? And I would specifically say, no, you're not. You know, this was a kind of a one-time thing. Explained why that we were trying to be respectful, and that if you'd like me to add you to our regular newsletter list, I'd be glad to. And then they said, "Yes, that'd be great." Awesome. So, so authenticity, transparency, just being honest, like, mm -hmm. and, and and not pushy, often works. And then for those that don't want it, yeah, just say, "Okay, no problem." Uh, I think often we're kind of scared to do that. We're kind of reluctant and either we don't send you the, send the message because of that voice in our head, or we do without asking permission. And either one of those are the right, the right, the right way to approach that. I think, because if you hadn't had, you would have missed out. Like you said, they were some of your best donors. So if mm -hmm. you just said, ah, I want to be respectful, we probably shouldn't cross those lines. You would have missed out on a lot of opportunity and allowing those people to want to help you because you help them. This is something I learned uh, along the way, along the journey is that, you know, you're not giving someone the opportunity to help when they would take it is, is, uh, you know, that's, that's unfair to them. Often we don't want to ask for help and we struggle to do that, but we would help anybody out in a moment, you know, think, think about somebody that you cared about. Now think about if they were going through something that you didn't know about that you could have helped them with and they didn't tell you. I, I got, I got upset just explaining that just now, you know, like if someone that I loved was going through something that I had something that would help them with and they didn't tell me I'd be offended. And so you really have to reframe it a little bit and then be polite, you know, and, and authentic and transparent in your approach. And that it, it's simple as that, but we resist that sometimes because of these voices in our head. Um, I think that that's awesome. I want to go back a little bit to the, um, what parts to use and what parts to not use. Cause I think this is a place where people struggle a lot. In fact, I have a, I have a coaching client I just met with yesterday who has this issue. The story is way too big and they are trying to understand what are the essential parts that I need? Because every pitch meeting they're trying to raise money right now, uh, for, 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 uh, for a product, every pitch meeting, I can't tell, you know, the 20 minute version of this story. What are the things that are going to connect and resonate and what are the essential parts of it? 
So do you have any takeaways, any things that you've learned from your experience of like, you know, was less more was, uh, you know, what certain things were more that you communicated were more effective? Any, any takeaways from that that you can point to? I think that the most effective thing was making it tangible for folks. So yeah. what is, what is the project that, you know, mm. what is, what is the real goal? Is it, mm. you know, we just need more money or no, why do you need more money? And what is the purpose of that money? Where is it going? And uh, what is it going to achieve? How are you going to impact? And I think so much of the time, because we are in the weeds of all the work every day, uh, we have a hard time uh, bringing it down to those finer points. You know, what does this represent? How many people does it represent? How many people can we help if we do actually obtain uh, our goal, reach our goal? Um, and so I would say that's it's really the best, the best thing is bring it down to what's tangible. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that people can relate to. You know, um, if you've ever had to implement a software solution, you know what an enormous pain it is and how much money it costs. And, um, and if you know, if you ever had to complete a web form, you know how difficult that is, you know, trying to make things easier, you know, if you don't have access to, uh, you know, printers or scanners, what would you do? It's a great mm-hmm. question. Well, now that we're forced with that situation, what is it that we can do? Um, Absolutely. So, so what was the story or the manner in which you conveyed this information? Um, what, was there a you know, specific story that you told? And if so, how, to, how did you tell that story? Because you do have a lot of information you're trying to get across. You do have these tangible things that you need people to latch on to. What was the vehicle? What was the story that, that you, you all focused on crafting uh, to get these things across and inspire the people to donate? Well, it was crafting that story. Um, we, we chose one of our staff members who's been in the field a long time to be the face of the campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she's the one dealing with most of the clients. And uh, the, the video, I think, was very compelling. Um, you know, initially, we didn't intend to have uh, as much other material in the video that we did. Uh, you know, we, but, but Angela had mean? a little... What do you mean by other material? Oh, 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 like client photographs. We had some client photographs um, uh, from our success stories in the video. Um, And initially that wasn't part of the plan. We were just hoping to have Angela, you know, speak to the the crowd, speak to folks, understand, uh, explain what our situation was so that they would understand. Um, But uh, she had a little bit of trouble with some of her lines. And so she was looking down a lot, even though she knew this stuff by heart, but I think she Mm -hmm. was just nervous. and so we, we did, we put client photos. Um, this is one of those documenting things over the last several years. Mm-hmm. Um, Angela has been really great about getting clients who we've helped um, to take photographs, success photographs after, you know, after they've had a closing or we've helped them get that loan modification. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we had real faces of real people who we've helped over the years um, you know, in part of that video. And I think that that was a very compelling, you know, we, people can talk and you can tell that story, but having a face to associate with it. Was just yeah. And you know what I love about that? And this happens a lot in, in, in filmmaking is you've got two reasons why you're using that media, that asset, right? You've got the technical reason because it's covering up these cuts where, where she's like looking down at the script, but then you've got the heart behind it, right? The, the, the creative reason you're using it, which is because now you're, people are back to what you said in the beginning. People want to help through the organization, not, you know, not to the, the organization. So now we're seeing the people uh, or a reflection of the people that we would be helping, 
you know, and seeing their smiles and their faces. And it's like, Hey, humans connect with, with, with other humans. And so I think I love when those choices that are, uh, often from creative restrictions work like that. And most often they do, or at least that should be what you strive for. It's like, so that, that, you know, was a two-sided, uh, win for you because you, you, you helped the video and then also, you, you helped its its effectiveness in terms of inspiring people. Is that, is that, you know, why did you decide to use uh, uh, like Angela in this? Was it a similar reason like to, to have a person to identify with? Uh, yeah. Versus like much. just, go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. I was going to say versus like the organization. Cause I noticed the, the name was Angela's hope for homes versus reinvestment partners hope for homes was was that another tactic that you used to try to kind of you know have that human element because like you said with the with the pictures you know people are seeing faces was that uh was that part of your strategy or what made you you know choose to use her for that i know you said you she's worked in the field a long time well i think uh it, it's again one of those uh twofold things um she she has worked with so many of our clients. She's been just a mainstay at Reinvestment Partners as a full-time counselor for so long. So um, she's worked with a lot of the people who we were going to be reaching out to. She's very well known in the community. But I think the fact of the matter is, you know, um, if you have a representative at an organization, at a bank, at a business, who you have a really good interaction with, it's not the bank of X that gave you a good interaction. It's that person who you dealt with and that's who you want to deal with every time. So, so you know, true. Angela has helped so many people. I mean, all of our counselors who we've had on staff before have, but um, she's helped so many people. She has a real tough love uh, kind of approach to folks. And sometimes they, you know, get irritated by her and sometimes they just love her. And she, um, she actually has a, a little cup of mustard seeds on her desk that she gives out to clients. And she says, here's your little mustard seed of hope. Um, and <laughs> so people were, at first, at first people would uh, leave testimonials and things. And they would say, thank you so much for my mustard seed. And I was like, you need to actually get mustard seeds and put those, you know, give them to clients. And she was like, I do. I have a cup on my desk and I give them That's their little amazing. mustard seed. Um, so she's got just a very, uh, a very good you know, rapport with clients and with people. And so um, I think that that was definitely going to come through in, in her speaking about them. Yeah. And if, and if she helped them in the past, you know, it motivates them to, it's the law of, you know, reciprocation. We're, we're wired to, to, to want to help, help people in return if they've helped us. It's a cycle, Absolutely. you know, that, that, that we go through. So I want to take a moment too to talk about the execution of the video, because this is another thing people struggle with. And I think it's really important that I didn't create this video for you. Right. I'm a filmmaker. I have worked with reinvestment partners before uh, for video production. Um, and we talked about the idea, but I think ultimately just with cost, with timing, with everything, it just it wasn't the right decision for you all with this big project you're working on. But, you know, we're like, no worries. We, we can we can still do this. And I think this is important to hit for people listening, because often people think that, you know, it's it's about the, I try to, and I try to help them with this thought you know it's about the tools or we don't we're not filmmakers we're not this and i really applaud you all for 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 doing this yourself so can you can you walk me through a little bit of the execution and i know it wasn't easy i know there were bumps and i want to hear about those too but you didn't hire a crew to do this you didn't hire professional filmmakers with professional equipment to do this what did you do 
we I'm fairly certain I can't be sure because I work remotely, but I'm fairly certain it was filmed on an iPhone. And uh, I asked the the staff to, you know, did we have a, a pin, a microphone pin that we could put on them to make sure we had good audio. Um, our office is an old building mm -hmm. with terrible noise <laughs> and we're right by a street. So you, know, you get the road, street noise and everything. So I was concerned about the noise. Um, but we literally just had one of our staff members who filmed it. We had Angela who uh, had the script. We created a short version of the script for her um, so she could understand, again, those details that we were trying to convey. It's not like she doesn't know it, right. um, but just kind of like what order and what the story we're trying to make sure people understand. Um, and she had her script for about a week and she worked on it. Um, and then they sat down to film and there were lots of bumps. <laughs> Lots of times, and I realized at one point I was, I'd been working on putting parts of the video together and I realized that she had said two paragraphs out of order. And that's, I was like, it's not flowing quite right. And I finally realized that's what it was. So then I had to you know, kind of cut and piece it back together. Um, but there were lots of little takes and um, the, the great you, news was, <laughs> no, go ahead. <laughs> uh, what did you think when you received the footage? I thought, this is not gonna work at all. <laughs> I thought, I can't believe this is the best I've got. Um, but it was funny because there were six bits that they sent me, six, uh -huh. six snippets. Um, and the last one was too big. They couldn't send it to me. And so it took me like two days to get it between like people's computer freezing up and yeah. when they were trying to upload it to Dropbox and things like that. So I finally got it and it had some of the best material. I was like, oh, thank goodness. This is uh, going to save it. <laughs> that's a that's that's a tough pain, uh, like getting large files to someone, especially if it's recorded on a phone, because you can't just text a large, long video over phone. So you have to you have to upload it. You have to yeah, it's, it's send it. You have to download it on the other end. It's not easy. Um, what you, you said you had cut something out of order so your goal it seems was to record it all one take hopefully in order make it nice and easy for amanda in the editing room obviously that did not happen um so what was the editing tool that you used i just used imovie which okay. was uh i have a mac and so it's free on my mac um i had used it for other very small projects in the past okay. um, so i used that go ahead I was just gonna say fairly easy for you to use, uh, knowing that, that you haven't you know used it a lot in the past. Yeah, fairly easy. Um, I did encounter some problems, like any software, you have to learn the, the quirks and where to find things, but a quick Google search and I was able to locate almost everything I needed very quickly. Mm. Um, so that was good. Uh, definitely did have to piece some things together. Um, but I was, you know, I was able to find uh, for the you know, background music, I was able to find a free file that um, was actually a great match. It's one of the first ones I looked at. So basically all free, all free things. <laughs> and when you finish it, when you had that final cut, because uh, this happens to me, like you're too close to it and you've seen it too many times to know if it's, to know if it's good, to put it simply. When you had it, like, did you feel it emotionally or were you like, I don't know if this is good or not? I felt it emotionally. I thought awesome. that it was good, um, but I felt like there were, uh, it did need a pair of outside eyes um, to look at it fresh and make sure that I wasn't missing anything, um, like certain pieces of the story being out of order. Yeah. Um, so uh, I did uh, get some third party, including your own opinions and thoughts on it, to make sure that it was uh, kind of a well, well running video and didn't have any like obvious glitches or anything. What did, uh, what did people think? 
uh, one of our staff members uh, donated on the very first day and she said, your video made me cry, Amanda, it just made me cry. And this is um, our part-time, she, she's our intake specialist that she does, uh, you know, works kind of in a general receptionist capacity, but then also a lot of different program areas Her time split across them. So yeah. she does part-time intake specialist for the counseling team. And she deals with a lot of our clients. Uh, she's the first line of, of contact. So um, a lot of these clients, because they're very stressed, they're very um, troubled, they're very uh, confused sometimes about their paperwork, they can be very um, stressful, very ornery sometimes. And mm -hmm. so for her who knows what it's like to work on the front lines and sometimes to have clients who are very difficult to deal with um, who make her cry um, for her to have such an emotional reaction and want to give um, was I thought just kind of like the perfect um, the perfect way to start it out yeah. to say yes this was effective even knowing how many times she's been put into tears by a client who's angry or confused or something Absolutely. like that. Uh, so we don't have a, a, a ton of time left, but and and I do want to spend some time covering the campaign. We already know we've alluded uh, and foreshadowed that that it was successful. But once you launched that and you got that initial feedback that this staff member donated, what were the things that you learned that you didn't expect once the campaign was running? It's hmm, a good question. Um... Was it more work than you than you uh, uh, anticipated? Was it were there certain things that worked that, that you know better than others? Facebook posts versus email, you know. I was honestly uh, surprised at the email response. So I found out I found that when we sent an email blast to folks, that that's when we got uh, an influx of donations. Um, and I hadn't honestly really anticipated that. I planned on doing the social media posts. I had it out on GoFundMe charity versus our own website, hoping that you know strangers might come across it. Um, but I think uh, really email marketing was the most effective. And that was surprising to me. And I know people say that and everything, but it was quite surprising to me. So um, it, it was kind of a balancing act. It was a lot more work than I expected it to be, even after it launched. You know, I know you said that it would be. Um, it was more work leading up to it than I expected. It was more work during than I expected, um, even though you you gave me fair warning. <laughs> um, but it was it was uh, really well um, well received in the emails, and it was a balancing act of you know I didn't want to overwhelm people in their emails. So who do I contact if they haven't donated, but they've opened the email? Is that who I should contact, or are there people who haven't opened it because they didn't see it? Maybe it went to their spam, and maybe. You know, they need to see another email come in. So just really trying to, again, be respectful um, without overwhelming people with emails. Um, and I think we only had, you know, one negative response to the email marketing campaign. We had some people unsubscribe, but uh, one actual, like, negative response. But everybody else, we got clients who'd say, thank you so much for reaching out. You know, I wish I could help, but I've just been laid off with the COVID-19 stuff. I actually need your help again. Mm -hmm. And then we had other folks who said, um, I really appreciate how much you've helped. Uh, I'd like to make a donation of $5. Who can I send the check to? So we had everything from we can't help, we need your help again, to we wish we could, and it's only $5, to larger ones. And and the total, what was the total amount that you raised in that month? 12940 12940 And the... Uh... 
the increments were they all over the place were they a lot of large ones were they all small ones um mostly smaller ones we had a lot of um in the hundred right 50 to 100 range um mm -hmm. if you count that as small but we had quite a few clients who donated multiple times and it was ten dollars one month you know one week and then maybe donated again fifteen dollars two weeks later probably huh. after they got their paycheck so okay. it was clearly a uh, something that they could afford and so i think that they were happy to be able to give back even if it was a small amount yeah um, that's that's interesting that they that they donated multiple times we did have a glitch um in it i sent out a marketing uh email saying you know like even five dollars will help only gofundme charities minimum was ten dollars oh, so no. i ended up having to issue a oops sorry uh okay. sort of statement and direct people to uh our website or paypal where they could actually do a five dollar donation and, and how was that handled when you when you sent the oops message i think it was a pretty well received you know, we had some people I had $10 donations coming in and I was like, oh, that's interesting. I asked for five, but I'm seeing people donate 10. And then I thought, hmm, maybe there's a problem there. So I looked into it and that's when I realized that that had happened. I hadn't set a minimum, but right. GoFundMe Charity had a, their own minimum. That's good to know. Okay. But you, you yeah. called it out, you addressed it and no backlash. No, no. And we did have a couple of people say, you know, like, hey, I'm trying and it's not working okay. uh, because I think they didn't see the correction email. And so I was like, oh, well, I'm glad you contacted me. Here's where you can go. No yeah. problem. Great. Great. So and you got some of those five dollar donations as well. Then to the we website. did. Great. Great. So here's the, the, the last question I'll ask, because uh, I know that you got to, to get on with your day. Now that you've done it, now that it was successful and all the work that you put into it, um, you may have the opportunity to do to do this again, um, but what what are the things if you were to do this again? What are the things that you've taken away from this first campaign that you would do like the first time around? Is there something you would do differently in another campaign that you weren't able to this time? How how will it change the way you you if you would do this again? How will it change the way you approach crowdfunding? I definitely would not be shy about speaking to prior clients um, right up front. Um, I think that was just one of the best things we could have done. Um, also will not be shy about uh, getting help. We had a group of Duke students who um, did their own Instagram bingo game for us. That was their own idea. Um, they wanted to volunteer, they wanted to help. And they said, hey, you know, uh, is this something we can do? And I said, sure, go for it. Um, and I did not expect to get that much from it, but they raised over $1,800 with their Whoa. Instagram bingo game, just their own personal networks. And um, again, it was one of those things I was, I was sort of hesitant to reach about reaching out to them. I know they'd helped in the past and I wasn't sure if they would be interested. And they said, how can we help? And I said, well, you share our stuff on your social media channels. That'd be great if you can forward the email to people you know. And they said, well, hey, we've got other ideas. So just being open to, yeah. to other people's ideas and and again, that creativity that I could not have possibly come up with on my own. And you initiated that with the, with the Duke students, like you reached out to them in, in real life because you had a connection and then they came back with uh, an interesting, unique idea and yes. effective. Yeah. Very, very so they had reached out to us last year. Mm -hmm. um, they just, it, it's um, Duke scale and coin is a financial fraternity and mm -hmm. they, reached they found our website online last year reached out to me and said hey we'd like to volunteer we've done a bake sale for reinvestment partners 
And between their bake sales, they raised nine hundred dollars to bake sales. And so I thought that was crazy. That she was, crazy. you know, selling cookies nine hundred dollars. My God! And they wanted to donate it to us, and so that was very exciting. So with this round, I said, "Hey, you know, this is a project we're doing." I told them that we'd hope to do a crowdfunding campaign someday and get their support on it. And this is just again not something I was really expecting. And you know what? You know what I hear emerging, and I always love this when I record episodes. Is like it's it's about relationships. It's about these unexpected ways relationships that you had already established came through to help you out that unexpectedly. The ones with mm-hmm. the Duke students, and also the ones with your private clients that you were reluctant about reaching out to that you had served before and helped, and you had established relationship with them years in the past potentially, and how they both manifested or, or came to you know fruition here with this project to help you back. And I think that's a good place for us to end today because it's such a big point and a long-term strategy that might not always result in immediate ROI, right? But, but that, that builds this, you know, this community that, that, that we're trying to build no matter what our cause is. And I really love, love that because without those two things, I don't think this, this, this campaign is successful. You know what I mean? Besides those two relationships that it still took you to tell the right story and reach out to those relationships, but those seeds and of the relationships were planted long ago and those relationships were established long ago. So I think that's something that we must take away from this is that, you know, think about your community, think about your people, think about your relationships and how you can leverage them and not just in a self-serving sort of way, but, uh, in a way that they can they can carry out their mission and purpose too. Your clients wanted to help you all out because you helped them, and they probably also wanted to help out people who are experiencing what they had in the past. You know? Yeah. Um, and I think you know you're absolutely right. The relationship that the sense of the sense of community. I think it was already there. You know, our community, these relationships, like you said, were already there. But the sense of community that we got from the fundraising campaign was just an incredible added bonus that I don't think any of us really expected. We thought, okay, you know, it'd be nice to probably hear from a few clients, but the incredible response from the community um, that they really valued us and valued our work uh, was just really great for the team to see, really great for the the agency at large. And even the, uh, we had a drawing at the end of prizes um, and we had, again, one of those things I was, I was, hesitant to do was to reach out to other organizations or companies and ask them to donate something for prizes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did. And I started with people who we already had relationships with people who uh, other organizations who we had partnered with in the past. Um, and those were the ones who came through because they mm-hmm. knew who we were. They knew what we stood for. They knew our work and they were just happy to say, absolutely tell us what, and when, and we will give it to you. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, it, you're absolutely right. It was all about relationships. And uh, I don't think we really realized that or expected it. Yeah, I love it. It's about deepening those relationships, those connections. And I wholeheartedly believe that storytelling is, 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 is the way to do that. So uh, I know I've said this to you before in real life, but now I'm going to say it publicly for everybody. I'm so, so proud of you uh, for carrying out that campaign and, and the organization as a whole. But I know the work and the blood, sweat and tears that you put behind it. And I'm very, very happy and fulfilled to have played any role in that. But uh, you killed it. You did a great job. So I'm very proud of you for that. Thank you. Thank you. It was, again, an uh, 
I'm not paid to say this. Uh, <laughs> it is. Uh, it, it really just could not have been as successful without your guidance and your help. So I, I really appreciate it. You, you know, I, I think I wrote about this later. It's like, uh, it's a win, win, win. You know, it was a great win for me. It was a great win for you. And it was a great win for the people who we impacted. And so like, that's the kind of project that I want to be a part of. So when I say it was my pleasure, I genuinely mean that like uh, to do what I'd love to do, to help you do what you love to do and while you're here and to help these people who need help, like, I mean, what a beautiful day that is. So thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for sharing your story. And I uh, can't wait to see what you do next. My name is Rain Bennett. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed that episode, do us a favor and subscribe to the podcast. If you're already a subscriber and you're enjoying the show, give us a review and let us know the value that you've gotten from it. We love to hear from our listeners and learn about the benefits that they're getting from the show. That's what fuels us and that's what fuels the show. And if you've already subscribed and you've already reviewed it and you think there's someone else that would benefit from listening to this show, please, please share it with them. The more we grow, the more we can help you grow and that's what we're here to do. Join us next time on the Storytelling Lab. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.